Hey man, welcome back. Thanks for 222k. And we were on um, Michael Cohen. Let's see here. I'm so indebted. You're so indebted. So Trump admits he is terrified of deposition by Michael Cohen in new court filing. Yeah. Poor little Trumpy. Poor little Trumpy. No ads, man. Go away. Go away. And before even Donald Trump, confidential. I'm hundred million. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. So Donald Trump's lawyer in the case where Donald Trump actually sued Michael Cohen for five hundred million dollars is saying that. All of the depositions and documents and everything relating to the case should be held confidential because Donald Trump is worried about his reputation oh, and he's Trumpy. worried about how the lawsuit can impact his criminal proceedings. And, uh, and also, he wants to avoid being embarrassed. Aww. Don't take my word for it. We'll look at the court documents oh, themselves and then we will talk uh, to Michael Cohen directly so you can get Michael Cohen. Cohen's perspective. We go right to the source here on the Midas Touch Network. Of course, Cohen is my co-host on the podcast Political Beatdown, so I was able to ask him directly about how he feels. But here are the facts. Donald Trump sued Michael Cohen for $500 million in a federal court in the Southern District of Florida. Not the other way around. Trump sued Cohen. So in response, Cohen said, I want discovery. I want some documents and I want to take your deposition because you sued me, you used it in press releases, you used it to fundraise, you said a lot of horrific and horrible things about me. I had to go hire a lawyer, I've been hauled into court, I want your deposition. At first, Donald Trump said he's not going to give his deposition. In a case where Donald Trump sued Michael Cohen, the federal judge ordered that Donald Trump's deposition take place in 45 days. Michael Cohen exclusively announced here on the Midas Touch Network that the deposition of Donald Trump in that matter is scheduled to take place on September 6th. But now Donald Trump's lawyers are saying basically that he is too scared about that deposition video becoming a public record or the documents becoming public. And I say to Trump, how dare you? How dare you? You sued Michael Cohen. You you sued, I was going to stop myself there. You sued Michael Cohen. So you brought him into court, and now you're saying you want confidentiality? You're the one who opened up the uh, courthouse and, and, and brought Michael Cohen in on this frivolous case. We'll get Michael Cohen's reaction in just a moment, but here is the uh, plaintiff, Trump. Trump's the plaintiff in this case. It's Trump versus Cohen. He has the audacity to call himself President Donald J. Trump. You ain't the president anymore. You're not the president. So it's Trump versus Michael Cohen and it's plaintiff's brief on issue of protective order. And in this motion, Donald Trump's lawyers are basically telling the judge because of Trump's reputational interests, because Trump would be embarrassed, and because of the criminal case, keep this all confidential, keep it all secret. And Cohen's like, no, that's not the way it works. Here is what it says. It says, uh, plaintiff Trump requests the entry of a confidentiality order given this matter's inherent susceptibility to public scrutiny and media coverage 
due to the parties involved. You sued Cohen. You sued Cohen, not the other way around. It says defendant Cohen has been unwilling to agree to the entry of a confidentiality order, and as such, the parties request a hearing before this court to resolve this dispute. At this hearing conducted by the court on July 20th, the court ordered that the parties submit written briefs to further explain their positions. In brief, defendant takes the position that good, defendant's Cohen takes the position that good cause does not exist sufficient to warrant the entry of a confidentiality order because of, quote, embarrassment of Donald Trump is not good cause. Go into the brief, look at page four, and it talks about, well, this is what Trump's argument is. Well, uh, Cohen's argument against the entry of a confidentiality order fails because it is almost entirely premised on the contention that mere embarrassment is not sufficient to constitute good cause. And then the lawyer for Trump says, there is no question that plaintiff's request for the issuance of a confidentiality order partially stems from his status of a public figure, as a public figure. While defendant argues that plaintiff cannot establish good cause because his reputational interests are insufficient for the entry of a confidentiality, as shown below, plaintiff's reputational interests and his statute as a public figure, I'm not sure it means stature, they says his statute as a public figure are not the only reasons why a confidentiality is warranted. Okay, well, you are saying embarrassment is a figure. Reputational interests are a factor. What's the other one? Oh, here it is on page six. Plaintiff's ongoing criminal proceedings establish a legitimate basis for the entry of a confidentiality order. Really? You're saying, we're going to get to Cohen in one second, so just hang tight. You're saying that plaintiff's ongoing criminal proceeding, that Trump's, the fact that Trump's a criminal, that that's the issue? Let's go into it. Oh, here's how it starts. The Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination shields one asserting that privilege from being incriminated by his or her compelled testimonial communications. That protection applies equally to witnesses in civil and criminal proceedings alike. Then it says, as Cohen is aware, plaintiff is currently a defendant in multiple criminal proceedings. You're the one who sued Cohen. So Cohen wants discovery. By the way, your invocation of the Fifth Amendment is an adverse inference in a civil case. What are you going to do? You're going to request a stay of your own case that you filed against Cohen? You're going to invoke the Fifth in your own case that you sue Cohen? Maybe you should have thought about that before suing Michael Cohen. I think Michael Cohen is not only going to prevail, but I think he's going to get significant sanctions against Donald Trump for bringing this frivolous case. But let's go to Michael Cohen directly and see how Michael Cohen views the fact that Donald Trump is seeking this protective order. Let's go to Michael Cohen right now. Uh -huh. I say you can't have it both ways. That's not the way the system works. Um, they don't want to turn over any of the documents or most of the documents that my lawyers have requested uh, in our discovery order uh, for the sole purpose that they are afraid that, that those documents uh, could be released, that those documents may incriminate Trump in some of these other legal matters. And again, I just need to scratch my head and say, seriously? So you bring a $500 million frivolous lawsuit against somebody and you expect me to do what? 
You expect me to roll over, to start to cry, to say to myself, oh, oh, my God, Donald Trump is suing me and so on. Listen, I know the game. I know his game. It was all based upon retaliation. All right. He's now put himself into a situation where, as the plaintiff, you are required to move the case forward to be deposed. You may remember, Brigaders, that and I said this in previous episodes, that Donald wanted to have the deposition 90 days post the election, which would be about 16, 17 months from now. Well, that's obviously not realistic, uh, nor was I going to permit that, nor was my counsel. And so, again, he is now required to sit for this recorded uh, and transcribed deposition on September 6th. And I promise you, my lawyer, Donya Perry and Benjamin Brodsky, they're already in the works. They're, they've already have in the works the, you know, the um, development of the questions that they intend to ask. It is going to be a incredibly, incredibly thorough, thorough, um, you know, deposition of Donald, which I, I promise you he doesn't want. And I promise that if I am permitted, I will be I will be releasing this information because, first of all, I think it m- most of it is going to be funny as shit. Right. I mean, listening to him trying to lie. Uh, you know, his way out of, you know, um, out of an answer. But it also is going to demonstrate, once again, that I am providing accurate and truthful information that the one who is dishonest, the one who refuses to tell the truth on anything, is Donald J. Trump, a guy who looks like he may be, once again, the presumptive Republican nominee. They're called bionic boomers, seniors once riddled with debilitating arthritis pain. Given a new lease on life, thanks to Dr. Paris's unusual method for relieving stiff, achy joints. The transformations have been absolutely incredible. I'll never forget when I saw Greg jumping on a trampoline <laughs> with just days before he couldn't get out of bed and thought he was going to live the rest of his life in a wheelchair. But Dr. Paris, also known as Dr. No ads, man. And before even Donald Trump made this protective order motion, here's what Cohen had to say about the deposition. Play the clip. Hey, we got the date, September 6th. Donald Trump is going to be deposed on September 6th in this frivolous $500 million lawsuit. My only hope is that we are not gagged on that videotape and parts or all of it can be released, you know, to the public. Because me, I am a firm believer in transparency. And that's not something that we're getting a lot of out of government today or definitively under the Trump administration. Well, it's bizarre um, that he would be allowed to have confidentiality because he sued you. He put all of these fraudulent allegations against you in the public and you want to clear your name now so he's the one who made these facts public in the first place it tells you everything you need to know that he's going to want to put that subject to a protective order so that it remains quiet and confidential but that's big news cohen did you say september 6th september 6th in miami florida deposition of donald j trump and look my friends if you had an opportunity and i'm sure all the brigaders did to see that disaster of a deposition in the eugene carroll case by robbie kaplan 
Um, you could only imagine what my counsel, Danya Perry and Benjamin Brodsky, are going to be doing to Donald because there is no way for him to answer the questions that we are in the process of preparing even as we speak. I mean, you know, it's not going to be going in and winging it. This is going to be a very deliberate and carefully orchestrated deposition of Donald. And I'm not even sure. I mean, you know, it, being that this isn't criminal, can he take the fifth on, you know, on everything other than his name? Well, if he does that, it certainly doesn't help his case. Remember, as the plaintiff, it is he who is obligated to push the case forward. And I just want to remind everyone, thank goodness for the judge who demanded that it be within 45 days of the hearing. Otherwise, Donald wanted it 90 days after the election. Just another 16 months. Well, folks, you hear it from the source directly, Michael Cohen. You'll hear it from me as well. Trump, you filed this frivolous motion. This is your whole plan. This is what you wanted. Michael Cohen should have your deposition. And again, just shows what a coward Donald Trump is. And again, I'm not just using the words the way Donald Trump is. Thug this, thug that. I'm showing you the documents. Donald Trump is afraid of embarrassment in a case that he brought. In a case that he brought against Michael Cohen. I'm Ben Micellas from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 1.5. Undisputed champion. of losing said uh Krishna called Trump the undisputed heavyweight champ. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram at Midas Touch. Let's keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow she us don't need no Instagram. She just uses Tristagram. This is what your dishwasher looks like after one oh, year. Balls. Yes, he did it. Yes, I'm just getting started. Michael Popak playlist. Trader. Trump not ready for Jack Smith next. Checkmate. Michael Popak legal AF would be remiss here on this hot take if on the day of Donald Trump's surrender, arrest, and arraignment. For the taken new into custody. By Jack Smith in Washington, D.C., related to all things Jan 6, the interference with the election process, the counting of the electoral votes, and the peaceful transfer of power. If we didn't talk about the fact that Jack Smith's work and that of his team is not done, he did not just put himself out of business by bringing what amounts to his third indictment of Donald Trump, two Mar a Lago indictments, one here in the District of Columbia. The battle's right. only just begun. Anywhere. As he said at his press conference, Jack Smith said, 
the work continues, ongoing investigations. And you'll see, just as in Mar-a-Lago, uh, they'll ask the judge, Tanya Chutkin, they'll ask her to continue to seal aspects of the indictment and other supporting documents and enter a protective order about the, the uh, Brady material, the discovery material that the government is prepared to give to the defense, but continue to protect names and places of potential future indicted people. That indicates to me and to others one of several things. One, the co-conspirators, of which there are six in the indictment, and they've all been identified. We start with Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Jeff Clark, Sidney Powell, Ken Cheeseborough, right? Attorneys all. And then, lastly, another attorney been listed as a political operative, Boris Epstein. If they don't soon cut a deal to cooperate with the federal government, Department of Justice, and tell the truth, they're going to be indicted as well in separate indictments, you can imagine, not in the same indictment as Donald Trump. Because that led to Donald Trump's, right, the train carrying Donald Trump's indictment all the way to conviction, right? is just going to tug him, just going to bring him to justice. The other indictments will address the other people in their own time, in their own way, on different trial docket schedules and timelines. This way, Donald Trump gets brought to justice before the election, and the others, of course, will be brought to justice. But they're less important than getting the American people to understand that they're voting for a convicted felon, if that's the case, at a time the election rolls around. How do we know that Jack Smith is continuing his investigation even though he's brought this new indictment? He said so in his press conference. He will ask Tanya Chepkin, the judge, Judge Chepkin today, in the next several days for a protective order to protect the identity of cooperating witnesses and those that are not cooperating and could be indicted in the future. Uncharged individuals is the magic term for prosecutors in an ongoing investigation. You see those magic words? Ongoing investigation, uncharged individuals? That means Jack Smith's not done. And so for those that are thinking, well, I appreciated the indictment. It's very efficient. It's very elegant. It's very surgical. But it left out a lot of stuff. And it left out a lot of people in terms of being on the other side of the V, United States versus someone. And that was intentional, not by accident. But don't think he's left them out of the narrative of the history of the justice process. He hasn't. He'll just do it in his own time against these other people while the Trump train moves itself out of the station through indictment to move towards conviction, trial and conviction. That's where we're at. And so who would be the other people? Well, first of all, to, to uh, corroborate what I'm saying here on the hot take, there are more witnesses scheduled for mid-August who will continue to testify to the grand jury. Now, under Department of Justice guidelines and the law, you can use a grand jury for many, many things if you're the Department of Justice. But you can't use it to keep going back to the jury, the grand jury, to add, like, more evidence to support the allegations or the claims or the criminal conspiracies that you already have. So let's use this new indictment as a, as a for example. This new indictment has three conspiracies, all led by Donald Trump, right? One defendant, six co-defendants, and um, that's the focus. But that doesn't mean, as part of the three conspiracies, of which there were five defined steps 
that are listed in the indictment, mostly involving Rudy Giuliani, fake electors, the pressure campaign on Mike Pence, and then not causing the Gen 6 insurrection, but using it as a weapon to continue to claim power. Those are the steps of the, of the three different conspiracies leading to three different criminal counts that are in the indictment. So you can't go back if you're Jack Smith's team to the grand jury to kind of add on evidence for what's already been framed by the indictment. That's not the grounds for a superseding indictment. You can, however, continue to follow new or different investigative threads and see where those facts lead you. That's where the new witnesses come in. And that's where two things I predict, I predict will likely happen in the very near future. One is another superseding indictment to bring new charges or new claims against Donald Trump once he gets to Jack Smith and his team. More cooperation from either the cooperating, the, the currently not cooperating, um, unindicted co-conspirators, but could be indicted co-conspirators, or from other opposition. And so you have that, the superseding indictment against Donald Trump. Could add a defendant here and there, but likely just Donald Trump. Then you have the individual indictments that won't be consolidated, won't be put together, won't be tried, even by the same judge. They'll be assigned to different judges. And we could have six, eight, or 12, or more future indictments. Even people that weren't listed, even as co-conspirators in Donald Trump's indictment are not out of the woods. I'm talking of Jenna Ellis. Right? Yeah, you're not listed in the indictment. Doesn't mean you're out of the woods. If people listed, have a very difficult decision to make. They're on the they're on the horns of a dilemma. The sword of Damocles is hanging over their head. They either cooperate or they're going to get indicted. In their own individual indictments, everybody gets one, right? And people like, however, Jenna Ellis and the fake electors and people in the GOP leadership and maybe Representative Scott Perry and the list goes on could easily, along with the other henchmen, be indicted in future indictments brought through a grand jury sitting in the District of Columbia. And so that is a proper purpose for the grand jury, and that's what we expect Jack Smith to do, both get a superseding indictment against Donald Trump, not to support the existing conspiracies, but to add new charges based on new evidence that's been developed since the grand jury indicted Donald Trump. And we have a perfect template or blueprint for this in bar Lago. What happened in Mar-a-Lago? Why did the superseding indictment come a month and a half after the original indictment? So soon? So soon, Jack? Because originally, he felt ready, you know, no indictment before it's time, but when it's time, it's time. Jack Smith went in and got his indictment in June. He also sent a target letter to some people, including the IT worker in Mar-a-Lago, Yusil Tavares, and basically said, we think you're involved in a criminal conspiracy with Carlos de Oliveira and Walt Mata. And we have you on videotape, basically, showing that you were looking for the server uh, to delete it, and that's what we think you did. That's your target letter. And that happened after the indictment. So the pressure of the indictment and the target letter on Lucille Tavares made him switch lawyers, fire the Trump-appointed and paid-for lawyer, Stan Woodward, who he shared with Walt Nauta, and get his own independent lawyer. And lo and behold, within a day, I think on July 5th, how, how appropriate, Mr. Yusil Tavares wanted his own day of liberty, 
And so he reached back to the federal government and said, I got something to tell you. And he said, I was involved with a conspiracy involving the maintenance worker and the body guy, the butler, and me. It was like a terrible game of Clue, treasonous game of Clue at Mar-a-Lago. And the government said, well, we have to tell the sound because we already knew that. We have you on video, we have recordings, we piece this together with text messages. So, welcome, come in, we won't indict you, and you need to cooperate right now. With that new information that was developed at the beginning and middle of July, Jack Smith was able to go back to the uh, grand jury in Miami. Because we had gotten recording, we'd gotten some, some chatter that the, the, the grand jury in Miami had reconvened. Uh, and maybe was hearing new evidence. That was the new evidence. And then came at the end of July, on the 27th of July, the superseding indictment where we knew when we saw it that Yusil Tavares had flipped. And that was the new evidence. That is an appropriate way to do a superseding indictment. And, and Jack Smith anticipated that that could happen, knowing what he had, you know, fired out in terms of target letters and pressure on co-conspirators when he told Judge Cannon in, her, in, his, in their protective order motion, we need to seal every aspects of this to protect uh, future other individuals that we're investigating and witnesses that are cooperating with us and that information because we have an ongoing investigation with uncharged individuals and so those you put those pieces of the puzzle together and you look down and you got a superseding indictment and that's what happened there and that is what likely is to happen next so for those that are wondering is that it is that all what have you done for me lately, Jack Smith? <laughs> Three indictments in nine months, I want more. Well, you're going to get more. You're going to get a superseding indictment against Donald Trump as soon as more witnesses come in and continue to testify before Jack Smith. But he didn't want to wait any longer because he did not want to derail the speedy trial and getting this set in 2024 before the election. And that's what we're going to start hearing today about Tanya Chepkin, Federal Judge Chepkin's thought process when she tells the lawyers in her room, A, I'm in charge, and B, let's talk about soon, a trial date that I'll be setting in this case. Um, she'll do it in a quite different way than Judge Cannon. She is the more experienced, more sober, most, more, sober more talented uh, judge as between the two that have a defendant named criminal, uh, a federal judge with a defendant named Donald Trump in front of them. And we'll watch what happens there, but only in one place. Here on Midas Touch YouTube channel. Follow me here on the Midas Touch YouTube channel. I do hot takes just like this one. We pull it all together on a podcast at the intersection of law and politics. It's the top podcast in that world, U.S. law and politics, called Legal AF, only on the Midas Touch Network. On its YouTube channel, free subscribe. Go over to audio, grab us on audio. Do it every Wednesday and Saturday. You can find all my work, all my hot takes, in a playlist on the Minus Touch YouTube channel. Go over to playlist, find Michael Popak, and there I am. And if you want to continue to communicate with me, do it through social media. I'm everywhere, including on threads at MS Popak. Until the next hot take, this is Michael Popak, Legal AF Reporting. Hey, Midas Mighty, love this report. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch. Keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. Michael Popak, Legal AF. Illegal hits just keep on coming.
for Donald Trump, even today, the day that he's going to be surrendering, arrested, and arraigned again by Jack Smith. Same exact time, in his civil cases, his woes continue. E. Jean Carroll, a uh, writer and columnist, still has a second defamation case uh, against Donald Trump, dealing with statements he made in 2019 while he was still president that is scheduled to go to trial in just a matter of time in front of um, the federal judge there, Lewis Kaplan. Today, her lawyers, led by Robbie Kaplan, no relation to the judge, filed a motion for summary judgment, effectively telling the judge that under New York law, which applies, because all of the major issues have already been litigated in the prior case in favor of E. Jean Carroll, in which a jury of nine people found that she was sexually assaulted, that Donald Trump lied, that Donald Trump acted with actual malice when he lied that he didn't know her and had not sexually assaulted or battered her, because that's already been decided. All of the elements of defamation about the 2019 case also, therefore, have been decided under what's a concept called issue preclusion, also sometimes known as race judicata, and under that doctrine applied to these facts, right, the uh, E. Jean Carroll's lawyers are saying, Judge, we don't need a trial on anything but damages, including punitive damages. Now, some people might think this case is about statements that were made by Donald Trump in early May, right after the original trial returned a verdict against him and an award of damages for over $5 million. It is not. Those statements in which he had CNN Town Hall also defamed her, also claimed not to know her that she was a hoax, that's being used to, to bolster the request for punitive damages, punishing damages, over and above actual damages. But it's not the basis of the new case, which is really the old case or original case. The basis of the new case or original case are statements that were made in 2019 while Donald Trump was still president. And whether those statements were defamatory, whether they were, had a defamatory meaning, whether they injured uh, E. Jean Carroll, and whether they were done with malice. And if they were done with all of those elements, so says the new motion for summary judgment just filed, then we don't need a trial of anything but damages because liability has already been established or will be established, Judge, once you apply issue preclusion doctrine under New York law to the facts already found by a jury back in May. Let me unpack that on the hot take so that when you walk away from this hot take, you have a really good understanding of both summary judgment law, New York law on issue preclusion, and why Donald Trump will likely lose this particular motion in front of Judge Kaplan. Let's start with the preliminary statement for the motion, which sort of explains it all. I have it here, right in my hot little hands. On page one, in the preliminary statement of the motion, Carol one and Carol two, those are the two cases, one dealing with the statements made while he was president, and then the statements made when he stopped being president. That's when you attend one of the 10 Maricopa Community Colleges, you get more than just a world-class education. You get the opportunity to succeed. To find a career that takes you places. Amen, no Being president. That second trial already happened. Both concern the same central question, whether defendant Donald J. Trump sexually assaulted plaintiff E. Jean Carroll. That question has now been answered by the jury in Carroll 2, which found that Trump sexually assaulted Carroll and defamed her after she spoke up. The brief goes on. 
Because New York law bars the proverbial second bite at the apple, Your Honor, Judge Kaplan, directed the parties to address how doctrines of preclusion, that means you don't get to relitigate the same issue over and over again if it's already been fully and fairly litigated and decided and it was important to the prior case and you were there represented with counsel, as good as they may be, then you don't get to relitigate the same issues over and over again and now take another shot in front of a new jury to deny it all over again. That's, that is barred by the issue of, by the uh, doctrine of issue preclusion. The brief goes on to say that um, as set forth below, that verdict against Donald Trump 9-0, finding that he sexually abused, battered E. Jean Carroll in that dressing room in 1996, that verdict established numerous critical propositions that now um, must be taken as true by virtue of issue preclusion. And then they go on to talk about what exactly are the issues that now the judge should take judicial notice of as a matter of law. Particularly, and I'm going, to re I'm going to read them for you now, particularly, they went through the things that should be decisive. And these are the things that they believe the judge should find as a matter of law and not even bother with a jury trial. One, that Trump sexually abused Carol. Two, that Trump injured Carol by sexually abusing her. Three, that Trump's conduct in the sexual abuse of Carol was willful or wanton reckless, negligent, or the conscious disregard of her rights. Four, that Trump's statements that Carol fabricated her sexual assault were defamatory, because it's not true. Five, that Trump's statement that Carol fabricated her sexual assault allegation for nefarious purposes was also defamatory. Six, that Trump's statement that he had never met Carol and that he did not know who she was was defamatory. Seven, that Carol was injured by Trump's publication, meaning his announcement to the world through press conference, press releases, tweets, and the like of the October 2022 statement, right? That was already found, the one after he was president. Eight, Trump acted maliciously out of hatred, ill will, or spite, wanton or recklessly uh, for the rights of Carol when he made that October 2022 statement. And then further, they say that as a matter of law under the doctrine of issue preclusion, the court now should find that Trump's claim that he did not sexually assault uh, Carol were false. His claim that, he, that she fabricated the sexual assault is false. That Trump's claim that Carol fabricated the assault for some um, impure purpose was false. The claim that he never met her was false. And that the when he made that October 2022 statement, he acted in reckless disregard. And, and then the, the leap or the connective tissue between that statement in October 2022 was the foundation of the trial that already happened and the statements in 2019 while he was president that would be the subject of the new trial. That connective tissue is that they argue in their brief, and I agree with them, that the statements made no reasonable jury having concluded that almost identical statements made in 2022 were defamatory, were false, were fabricated, that were done with wanton and malicious disregard for her rights, no reasonable jury would then believe that the statements almost identical in 2019 by Donald Trump somehow don't fit that bill.
and don't fit the elements of defamation to award damages in the state of New York. So let's skip the second bite of the apple, the second jury, the second presentation, the second chance for Donald Trump to decide whether he's now, having seen what happened with 2020 hindsight, with his master strategy of trying to take down E. Jean Carroll through cross-examination and not testify or put on any documents or witnesses himself, including giving a deposition that hanged him in the courtroom, you know, at least the six minutes that we've been able to see and read about, we don't give him a do-over, right? This isn't an etch-a-sketch justice system. You lost. And those statements are so perfectly aligned, the 2019 and the 2022, that as for the law, for the law, E. Jean Carroll's lawyers argue, we don't give him another trial. That is the foundation of the motion for summary judgment that has been filed. And, the, and they go through those facts, which they say are preclusive, barring Donald Trump from relitigating them again. Because, of course, he had counsel, he had the right to testify, which he, which he waived. He, um, the same issues were involved in that case. You know, the, the um, defamatory statements are almost identical between 2019 and 2022. He published the statements, meaning he told them the third parties. They are defamatory because that jury said those same kind of statements were defamatory. And if anything, Donald Trump is, is inherently in his DNA consistent in his lying because he said the same thing in 2019. Not my type. She's a hoax. She's a shakedown artist. She's doing it for the money. The Democrats are putting her up. You know, he has those talking points, those, those post-it notes that he uses to make a case they still using today. But that's going to hang him because those are identical to the things he said in 2019, which is the basis of this case. Now, Donald Trump will have the opportunity to argue, no, I get a whole new trial. We have to, I have to be able to go in front of a whole new jury about liability. It's not just about the money, Your Honor. It's not just about how much I owe in damages because if that's the, if that's the case where a jury gets seated and the jury is told... Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the jury. Before you got here, me, person in the black robe, Judge Kaplan, I've already made certain decisions about this case, and I have found against Donald Trump that he defamed, published, and all the elements of defamation are present. All, all the elements under New York law. And all you are here to decide, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is the amount of money that you're going to award for the damage, for the damages, punitive, punishing damages in the multi-millions, and regular compensatory damages. But you are not to consider whether uh, my decision that under the law he did defame her and all the elements of defamation are present, you are not to question that. Now get, let's, let's put on the evidence, call our first witnesses. That's how it's going to go if they win this motion for summary judgment. So Donald Trump will have an opportunity in the next 20 days or so to file an opposition brief and argue why issue preclusion um, should not be applied and why his 2019 statements are so different than his 2022 statements even though they're not they'll create some sort of chart that doesn't make any sense and then there'll be one more brief and that'll be E. Jean Carroll's that's called a reply brief there may or may not be oral argument meaning the lawyers go into the courtroom and argue or the judge as most federal judges do makes decisions on the papers meaning without the benefit of oral argument but we will get a ruling by mid-September on whether we're going to have a trial on liability with Donald Trump in a civil case of defamation, or we're going to go right to damages and punitive damages, and that's all the jury is going to be focused on. I'll follow it on hot takes like this one. One place, Midas Touch Network. 
Get it on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Legal AF, the podcast at the intersection of U.S. law and politics that we do every Wednesday and Saturday. Follow me on all things social media at MS Popak. Until the next hot take, this is Michael Popak, Legal AF reporting. Hey, Midas Mighty, love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch. Keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. Michael Popak, Legal AF. Jack Smith has broken the code on how to prove that Donald Trump had the required criminal intent, criminal mind, to commit the crimes. It keeps prosecutors up at night, making sure they have enough evidence arrayed against the defendant to prove that key element, without which you do not have a criminal prosecution. And that is what every criminal defendant usually tries to attack and tried to argue that he doesn't have a criminal mind. He did it with an innocent head or an innocent heart. Now that is Donald Trump's theme. He's going to try to push it off and say he relied on lawyers. Uh, Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, John Eastman. He did it when he up in New York when he said he relied on Michael Cohen related to Stormy Daniels. And they're already floating the I relied on the lawyers bit instead of that the lawyers were doing the bidding for the client, which is Donald Trump, which is exactly the way the indictment was written. But so that thing that kept Jack Smith up at night, one of the things you learn in trial academy as a trial lawyer is you need to embrace your weakest part of your case, make it your best friend, hug it at night, put it under your pillow, and, and you have to embrace your fears, if you will, and you have to make them your strengths. And that's what Jack Smith has done right up front in the indictment. He's not waiting around for Donald Trump to continue to argue outside the courtroom and eventually inside the courtroom that he can't be convicted of any crimes before criminal counts that are in the new indictment. The three criminal conspiracies that are listed there as well. Obstruction of an official proceeding, obstruction of rights, obstruction, a conspiracy to defraud. Right? Obstruction of people's rights in, in related to voting. He's not going to wait around. He's going to put it in the indictment itself. I mean, he has to allege as an element of each count, of each criminal count, that, that the person did it willfully, intentionally, knowingly. That's the, that's the magic language. That's the criminal intent that's required. We sometimes shorthand it in the law, just to be confusing, <laughs> just to try out our Latin once in a while, as mens rea, M-E-N-S-R-E-A. If you're a lawyer like me, you talk about mens rea all the time. Jack Smith said, you know what? I'm going to make mens rea and Donald Trump my best friend. I'm going to put it front and center in the indictment. I'm going to read from, from the indictment Right up front, I mean, he's got a hundred and something paragraphs. I read all of them. He's got 130 paragraphs. But in the, in the top 11 or 12, he takes on the knowledge of the defendant that his claims of election fraud, which animate the entire conspiracy, were false. Therefore, he can't cling to them because they're not true, and he knows they're not true. And so uh, let me read just from the indictment. And the power of the indictment, the momentum, one paragraph after another, every word chosen with care by a prosecutor is trying to be both elegant and efficient and surgical in his indictment, right? Four counts, one defendant, six co-conspirators. Given how broad and widespread the fraud was, and the five major links in the fraud chain, 
and the conspiracy chain. How he got it into one indictment, 125 paragraphs with one defendant and three in only four counts is beyond me, but that's why he's Jack Smith, right? That's, that's cold fusion stuff, right? That's Manhattan Project stuff. Uh, so let's look at what he did, paragraph by paragraph, to attack Donald Trump right where he stands about his knowledge, criminal knowledge, criminal intent. Paragraph 11 of the indictment, the defendant, his co-conspirators, and there's at least six of them listed, not yet indicted, and their agents made knowingly false claims that there had been an outcome-determinative fraud in the 2020 presidential election. These prolific lies about election fraud included dozens of specific claims that there had been substantial fraud in certain states, that's the battleground states, all seven of them, such as the, that large numbers of dead, non-resident, non-citizen, or otherwise ineligible voters had cast ballots, or that voting machines had changed votes for the defendant to vote for Biden. These claims were false, and the defendant knew they were false. See, that's the key that the defendant has to know that they're false in order to be prosecuted and indicted. In fact, the defendant, the indictment goes on, was notified repeatedly that his claims were untrue, often by people on whom he relied for candid advice on important matters and who were best positioned to know the facts. And he deliberately disregarded the truth. We have a name for that in criminal law. There's a doctrine. It's called conscious disregard or conscious conscience uh, avoidance. It's also called uh, willful blindness. All the facts against you are swirling around you and are being told to you, and a reasonable person would believe them, but you bury your head in the sand, and you refuse to accept the facts. Right? Like the old country song. Who are you going to believe? Me or your lying eyes? And this goes to that criminal intent. And this is the examples from the indictment, and I shall read of the places where Donald Trump deliberately disregarded the truth. A, the defendant's vice president. These are the people who told Donald Trump that his lies were false. The defendant's vice president, who personally stood to gain by remaining in office as part of the defendant's ticket, and who the defendant asked to study fraud allegations, told Trump that he had seen no evidence of outcome determinative fraud. That means not that there's no fraud in the election. There's just not enough fraud to overcome the electoral advantage of the other person, in this case, Joe Biden, state by state. B, who else told Donald Trump about the fact that he didn't have a leg to stand on and it was, it was fake to say that the election was stolen from him? The senior leaders of the Justice Department appointed by the defendant and responsible for investigating credible allegations of election crimes, told the defendant on multiple occasions that various allegations of fraud were unsupported. Who's that? That's Bill Barr, the Attorney General, while he was still in office, and later Acting Attorney General Jeff Rosen and Acting Deputy Attorney General Richard Donahue. Let's go to C in the indictment, paragraph 11C. The Director of National Intelligence for Donald Trump the defendant's principal advisor on intelligence matters related to national security disabused the defendant of the notion that the intelligence community's findings regarding foreign interference would change the outcome of the election. So, Trump's head of the national intelligence, right, also told him. But we're not done. Little d, 
in number 11. The Department of Homeland Security, Cyber Security, and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, whose existence the defendant signed into law, he created Trump, CISA, to protect the nation's cybersecurity infrastructure from attack, joined an official multi-agency statement that there was no evidence any voting system had been compromised and that declared the 2020 election the most secure in American history. That is Chris Krebs, who was fired by Donald Trump as soon as he made that statement. Days later, after the CISA director, Krebs, whom the defendant had appointed, announced publicly the election security experts were in agreement, the defendant fired him. Nope, there you have it. Little e, paragraph 11, about the mens rea of Donald Trump. Senior White House attorneys, selected by the defendant to provide him candid advice, informed the defendant there was no evidence of outcome-determinative election fraud, and told him... Trump, that his presidency would end on Inauguration Day in 2021. Who's that? That is Pat Cipollone, who is the White House counsel, the chief lawyer for the president, and his right-hand person, Deputy Attorney General Eric Hirschman. Not in the indictment, but I'm telling you who it is. Let's move on. Three more badges to pin on Donald Trump to show his knowledge of the criminal fraud and conspiracy. F, senior staffers on the defendant's 2020 re-election campaign. Trump's own re-election campaign people, whose sole mission was that the defendant's re-election told the defendant on November 7th, a few days after the election, that he had only a 5 to 10% chance of prevailing in the election, so that means 95% chance of not, and that success was contingent on the defendant winning ongoing vote counts or litigation in Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin. Within a week of that assessment, the defendant lost Arizona, meaning he had lost the election by his own campaign people's assessment. Uh, Little G, various state legislators and officials many of whom were the defendant's political allies, meaning they were Republican, had voted for him and wanted him to be reelected, repeatedly informed the defendant that his claims of fraud in their states, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, the list goes on, were unsubstantiated or false and resisted his pressure to act based upon them. Just think, Secretary of State of Georgia, Brad Raffensperger, Secretary, uh, uh, Speaker of the House for, for Arizona, Rusty Bowers, and the list goes on. All cooperating with Jack Smith in his investigation. I think Rusty Bowers and then finally, the last up. nail in this uh, multi-nailed coffin is that state and federal courts, the indictment goes on, the neutral arbiters responsible for ensuring the fair and even-handed administration of election laws rejected every outcome-determinative post-election lawsuit filed by the defendant, his co-conspirators, and his allies, providing the defendant's real-time notice that his allegations were meritless. What are we talking about there? The uh, Trump, Giuliani, Powell, Eastman Group went 0 and 70 in the courthouses. That set of facts and people who are actually Trump people, they should be biased towards Trump, 
they should be in favor of him and are of his party and people he selected are all telling him, except for the judges, are all telling him, you lost. A reasonable person cannot maintain in their brain the thought that against the odds of all and the weight of all of that counter-information that they really won the election. That is the key to proving criminal intent, the element of every one of the four crimes Jack Smith has not brought against Donald Trump. And you see that, that Jack Smith and his team are embracing what could be a weak link in their case and making it their best friend and their strongest ally in the indictment itself, just the way I just described it. And for every allegation in the indictment, there is, I assure you, multiple witnesses who have testified already to support that fact, most of which are Republican, most of which used to work for Donald Trump, hired by him, or elected him, or wanted to vote for him again. And documents, text messages, WhatsApp, you know, recovery of server information, data, photographs, recordings, and the like, to back up every one, and I mean every one, of the 130 paragraphs. I assure you, Jack Smith did not put a paragraph in there until it, somebody went over it, including him and his team and his senior leadership, with a ruler, a fine-tooth comb, and a magnifying glass, and not one word is out of place, right? Not one hair is out of place. And everything that he's saying, he knows he can prove in a court of law. Because he's not, Jack Smith's not just about getting an indictment. As I said earlier on the Midas Touch Network, he could have gotten this type of indictment or something close to it months ago. He wants a conviction of Donald Trump. And that should send a cold chill straight down Donald Trump's spine. That combined with the judge that was selected by random selection, which is Judge Tanya Chutkin, an Obama appointee. Talk about that on another hot take, but that's a very good, a very good selection for justice and the opportunity to get this case tried before the election. This was about mens rea. This was about criminal intent. This was about Jack Smith embracing it and putting it and sticking it to Donald Trump right in the indictment. I'll do more hot takes like this as we continue to unpack the indictment. I do it here in only one place, the Midas Touch YouTube channel. It's a free subscribe. You can find all my content. Slide over playlists. Find Michael Bobach. There I am. You can follow my long-format podcast that I co-anchored and co-founded called Legal AF. Only on, you know it, the Midas Touch YouTube channel. You knew that. It's free subscribe. We do it every Wednesday night. It's coming up. And Saturdays. I do it with Karen Freeman Ignifolo. I do it with Ben Micellis. We then take that programming. We put it audio format everywhere you get your audio podcast from. And you can follow me, Michael Popak, everywhere you get social media, including now threads at MS Popak. This is Michael Popak. Until the next hot take, reporting for Legal AF. Hey Midas Mighty, love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. Michael Povak, Legal AF, Donald Trump's main fundraising vehicle to pay his legal bills, Save America PAC, is busted. It's broke. 
It's living hand to mouth. There's no other way to put it. It had at one time $105 million last year. It's down to $4 million today, and that's going down very, very quickly. That is the primary fund that's been used to pay over $40 million, not only for Donald Trump's attorney's fees, but also to all his ex-employees, current employees, and co-conspirators. Susie Wiles controls that as the head of that pack. We'll talk about Susie Wiles in a minute. And while she's in trouble, and possibly is going to be a co-conspirator indicted, or at least the main witness against Donald Trump in Jack Smith's prosecution. But let's go back to the headline. Donald Trump's pack is out of money, so busted that based on new reporting and new um, disclosures that had to be made by the pack, they had to go back to a super PAC, not controlled by Donald Trump, but established for his candidacy, called MAGA Inc., Make America Great Inc. And they said, hey, you know that $60 million we gave you so you could use for ad buys for, uh, for Trump in his campaign? We need it all back, because we're broke. They actually had to disclose that the super PAC needs to repay based on a refund demand by the Save America PAC, $60 million, so that Donald Trump can use it for his attorney's fees. By the way, I am sure that the donors to the Save America PAC, the small donors to Donald Trump's PAC, don't realize that their money is going to pay for Trump's legal bills. But it is. And he's also using illegal coordination between the Save America PAC and the Super PAC, right, to skirt federal election law. No shock, no surprise there. That Donald Trump doesn't respect the law. And what am I talking about? Well, Maggie Haberman, Shane Goldmacher, and Jonathan Swan, uh, Swan in the New York Times did a great job on this. And what it's showing is that a Super PAC has the ability to raise unlimited money and but they can't coordinate with the campaign or Donald Trump in any way in how they spend it. They can raise whatever money they want, unlimited, but they can't coordinate. The regular PAC, the Save America PAC, the one I'm talking about, the one that's using its money, it is now busted down from $105 million to $4 million and dropping. That can only take $5,000 limited donations, up to $5,000 per donor, but it can make payments on behalf of the campaign. See the difference? So to skirt that, you just have money funneling back and forth between the one that can raise all the money, and then you have it sent back to the one that can spend the money on behalf of the Trump campaign uh, based on whatever he wants. So th that's the major distinction. Save America PAC can't directly support uh, the president's campaign or the former president's campaign, right? And there's donor limits. Super PAC can directly support the campaign, no donor limits, but it can't coordinate with Trump and his people. And we know there's coordination going on. Look at the coordination in the refund of $60 million that Save America PAC is demanding be repaid by the super PAC. Hey, you got a lot of money. You don't have limits. Send it back. We need it over here. So they've raised the money on in one pile from an unlimited donor group, and they've sent it to the group that has limits because they got to pay their attorney's fees. And so every dollar that goes back to Save America PAC is one less dollar that Donald Trump has for any television ad buys, right? In fact, the amount that's already been repaid by the super PAC back to the PAC, that amount is the equivalent of the amount that Donald Trump spent to, to do negative ads against DeSantis, about $23 million. And every time he gets indicted, 
the super PAC, which is supposedly not coordinating with Donald Trump, sends back another 5 or $10 million back to the PAC to use for legal fees. Another indictment, another $10 million. Another indictment, another $10 million. That's the pattern. That's the pattern that we see in the disclosures. So you, you tell somebody else that they're not coordinating, that, the, that this, the groups that aren't supposed to be coordinating aren't coordinating. They're coordinating. And, and they're worried about violating uh, and being so, va uh, so flagrant about violating federal campaign law that now Donald Trump has set up a new fund to pay for attorney's fees for his ever-growing list of co-conspirators and employees that are now indicted. And that is the Patriot Legal Defense Fund, the Patriot Legal Defense Fund. Another grift by Donald Trump this time to um, get out from under the Save America PAC fund being bankrupt, effectively bankrupt. Now, Susie Weil 